Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Christy Sumner, and she's with Soul Sisters Paranormal Investigating, and I am so happy to have her on my show. Welcome, Christy. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate you having me today. Absolutely. You and your sister, Jenny, started this group years ago, and actually I think it was you, your twin sister, Jenny, a younger sister, and then two female friends. Then it kind of became, uh, in 2020, just you and your sister primarily, that go on these haunts and you investigate. So tell me everything. I'm so into this stuff. I cannot wait to hear some of the things you do and some of your stories. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, in 2013, we actually started as a girls trip, believe it or not. My twin sister, Jenny, my younger sister, Michelle, and then two female family friends, we would routinely get together to do girls trips. So we, because we live in different parts of the country. So we decided in 2013 that we were going to go to West Virginia for a weekend. And we have a friend of the families who sat on the board of the West Virginia State Penitentiary, which is one of the most haunted locations in the country. Yes. So he knew that we were going to be up there. And he said, why don't you come and, and stay the night at the prison while you're here and just see what you find and just have a good time doing it. If we had the opportunity to go on a a paranormal investigation, we would do it. So we jumped at that opportunity, and we found such compelling evidence, what we felt was compelling evidence of the paranormal during that night, that we left that experience wanting to explore more. And so we decided to formalize a team, and we came up with the name Soul Sisters Paranormal. So we just decided that this was something that we really wanted to delve into. So we just invested time and and finances into going to different parts of the country and exploring these haunted and historic locations, mostly for the historical value, honestly, um, because, you know, to, to really have that tactile experience with those historical places. And then we would research them and find, uh, see if we could find any compelling paranormal activity. You're like me. I love history and anything having to do with paranormal. Plus, I write paranormal romance novels. So it's like, I'm all up in there, you know. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Have you always been interested in this? Or did this kind of fall in your lap? What started this whole process of doing this in the first place? Well, we always have have had a fascination with it. And, you know, we'd watch the, the popular paranormal television shows, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures and such. And right. we'd say to ourselves, you know, why didn't they ask this question? Or why didn't they stay longer in this area? Or, you know, why didn't they try this tool or technique? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we always said, you know, if we had the opportunity to do this, let's try these things. And so, like I said, when, we, when we've gone to these locations, we've been very fortunate to find some different compelling evidence. And that's what really kind of led us down down this path. We all have advanced degrees, so we're all very research-based, and we come at it from almost an academia perspective, if you will, because we go in and we do advanced research. We go in, and before we actually start the investigation, we will do a day tour and and really look for things that could environmentally affect the investigation, Uh, street noise, light pollution, um, airline traffic. So you go in with an attitude of, Let's make sure there's no outside noise. There's no car noise. There's no airplanes going over. There's no weird thing in the window making it look like a face or whatever it is. Uh, So absolutely. We go in with healthy skepticism, if you will. And so we do try to account for those things that could influence the investigation. So, for example, we investigated Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia. And this was a Revolutionary War fort. It was used in the Civil War as well. But the unfortunate thing is it sits right at the end of the runway of the Philadelphia airport. 
So you have that airplane traffic pretty much up until 11, 12 o'clock at night. Gotcha. And so you want to go in and account for those type of noises. And, you know, when you do that, you say to yourself, okay, if we capture something that sounds like this, then it could very well be airplane noise or some other noise, we'll discount that. We'll, we'll throw it out. But what we put out there for our audience are those things that, when we have accounted for everything else, are, are unexplainable to us. Right, and now you have your own YouTube channel with the same name, Soul Sisters Paranormal. Right, so you put all of this evidence that's probably edited so that we don't have to watch, you know, hours and hours of it. You edit it to where you can actually see what happens. I have watched one, and I've also listened to a couple podcasts you've been on, and I love that Ma Baker house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the Ma Barker house. Is oh, yeah, Ma Barker. I'm sorry. Yeah. It is. It, it, you know, the Ma Barker house is extremely interesting simply for a couple of reasons. One, the historical aspect behind it to us has always been fascinating. Our grandparents lived about seven miles from this house in central Florida, oh, wow. in a little town called Okawaha. And so when we would go to Nan and Granddaddy's, we would grow up hearing the stories of that's where, you know, Mon and Fred Barker were killed. So what happened was these were uh, members of the gang, the Barker Carpus gang, and Ma was really seen as the matriarch of this gang. And in 1934, they escalated from bank robbery to kidnapping. And oh. uh, that, that, yeah, they put J. Edgar Hoover on their trail. So the gang split up at the uh, end of 1934. And Ma and Fred, one of her sons, rented this little nondescript house in Okalaha, Florida. And on January 16, 1935, the FBI tracked into that house. A gun battle ensued, and Ma and Fred were killed inside that house. Wow. Um, the, owners, yeah, the owners of the house, they did not know that who they were renting it to. They had no idea anything was going on until after the shootout. But they had the presence of mind to preserve the house as it was in uh, 1935. So when you walk into the house today, there's bullet holes uh, in the walls. There's furniture that has bullet holes in it, pictures, sconces. All of those things were preserved inside the house. And that's what's so crazy about it. I mean, you know, well, they probably thought no one's going to want to rent this now because there's been a double murder here. And what do we do about this? It was never set up to be a rental house. It was their vacation home. It was built by a man by the name of Carson Bradford. And so he really had no desire to rent the house out as a rental property. But he ended up doing so because Monfred Barker, under the alias of, of T.C. Blackburn, they promised him $100 a month, which in that time, other rentals in the area were going for about seven to fifteen dollars a month. Oh, and wow. they said we'll give you, yeah, we'll give you a hundred dollars a month. So of course he jumped at that. And I mean, there's no red flags, right? There's no red flags with that, not at all. <laughs> um, but they started renting it in November of 1934, and then January 16, 1935, was when the shootout occurred. So you know they maintained it as a vacation home. You know they would go in, and through all those years, the family actually said, yeah, we would routinely hear footsteps. We would hear glasses clinking. We would hear noises from upstairs when nobody was there. Wow. So in 2016, the family decided that they wanted to sell the land, and the new owners did not want the house. They were going to demolish the house. Mm. So Marion County, Florida, decided to purchase the house, and they moved it. They put it on a barge on the lake, and they floated it across Lake Weir to a new location. And when they did that, I approached Marion County because I'm from there. I approached Marion County. I introduced myself told them what we did, and asked if I could be allowed to be the first investigator, paranormal investigator, to get into that house. And they said, sure. And so we conducted the investigation. To date, we've been the only team to, to actually do a paranormal investigation in the house. And again, we found such compelling evidence that 
to us, it really led us to believe that the spirits of Ma and Fred Barker still reside within that house. Wow. And and it was moved. So you wonder if that upset them or if they don't even know. They just Do you think it's a residual thing? Do you think it's an intelligent thing? I think it's a mixture of both. So when I get asked that question, my response is they had no ties to the land. They were nomadic in life, so they didn't have a home base in real life. So this was basically their last hideout. So my theory is that they absolutely wanted to reside with the house rather than the land because that's what they knew. They knew inside that house. And so, yes, it was moved about two miles away from the original shootout location. But all of that energy that was released that day on January 1635, I think, really left an imprint on the inside of that house. So we came away with feeling that there was residual and um, intelligent hauntings inside the house. And the reason I say that is because we actually did a two-part investigation. So the first part, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get into the house on the anniversary of the shootout. So we went into the house on January 15th, 2019, which would have been the 83rd anniversary of the shootout. And we left all of our stationary equipment that night in the house. So we went in January 15th, turned on all the equipment, and we left it run until the morning of January 16th, which would encompass the hours of the shootout. And we had complete control of the environment. So... Where this house is placed, there's no street lights, there's no roads by it. It sits on about 40 acres. It's isolated. There's no power to the house. There's no water to the house. It's basically just sitting there vacant. And so we had complete control of the environment. So I knew that nobody approached the house during the night. Nobody could get near the house. And we had night vision cameras outside. So I knew that no animals like deer or bear approached the house. So when we went back and we listened to the equipment that we had set up that night, we listened to the evidence, our voice recorders were capturing footsteps. They captured what sounded like a chair being dragged across the floor. Oh, wow. um, and then one of the things that was most compelling was in the room where Monfred's body was found at about 530 in the morning, we captured two voices that we can't explain. The first one said, Freddie. The next one said, yeah, Ma, and the first one said, get ready, which I think is actually was residual, and that's probably what they said the morning of the shootout. Oh, wow. Get ready ready for this gun battle. And again, I can't explain that. I I just, those are things that to me are extremely compelling. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. um, And so that was the first part of the investigation. And then the second part was two weeks later, my sister Jenny and I, we went and we stayed the night inside the house. And we're hearing noises, footsteps, and that sort of thing. But one of the most compelling things that we did was we used what's called a spirit box. And Mm -hmm. for those that don't know, generally speaking, it's an AM, FM radio that's been modified to very quickly sweep through frequencies. So when you turn it on and you start the sweep rate, what's called the sweep rate, it sounds like as it's moving very quickly through these frequencies, right? So the idea is that the spirits can use that white noise between the frequencies to actually form words. And so theoretically, you should not hear phrases because it's going so fast, you'll hear that, but you shouldn't hear a full phrase because it's moving so quickly. Right. And so we were actually up inside that kill room, uh, or the death room where Monfred's body were found. And we put the spirit box down and we turned it on. And very quickly, we got a phrase that says, someone's up here. Then we got a phrase that says, Freddie. And then another voice said, that was Kate, which was Ma's real name, Kate. And then I asked, what happened in this room? And through the spirit box, it says, they murdered us. We the ones dead. 
which again is extremely compelling because you should not get a full phrase. Wow. Um, but it was very yeah, it was very germane to the situation. Their story is the FBI murdered us in this room. So to be able to get that through that spirit box was extremely compelling to us. Wow. And that happened once it had already been moved. So that is just craziness. Golly. And you know, did you have a creepy feeling though when you were in the house and asking the questions? Did it feel sinister or was it just a normal feeling for you guys? For us, it really it was a normal feeling. Now, I'll be honest with you. When we go to these locations, you know, you do have those moments where you're startled or you do get that small creep factor. But for us, it really is exciting. It's more of an, an adrenaline rush for us. And one of the things, if you watch our videos, one of the phrases that we commonly use in our investigations is, we want to tell your story. Will you allow us to tell your story? And that is legitimately the reason why we're doing this, because we feel if any spirit wants to communicate with us enough to tell their story, then that's the story we want to tell. And so when you go to the Ma Barker house and you hear the phrase, they murdered us, we the ones dead, that is their story. In their eyes, we were murdered by the FBI. And while they did not live the greatest of lives, that's their story. We were murdered. So for us to be able to tell that, for them to actually convey that to us was really more of a an emotional feeling, if you will, not so much scary or sinister. I just think that Ma and Fred wanted their story told. And I think that has a lot to do with a lot of these investigations when other paranormal teams go in and they're not as respectful and they're not, uh, and I'm not going to say names because I think they're still on TV, they go in and they want to start a fight or they want to go in and they try to provoke or whatever. And it sounds like you don't do any of that. And I respect that because I do think you're going to get better results anyway, because you've been to the Villisca Murder House You've been to the Lizzie Borden House. You've been to the West uh, Virginia Penitentiary, the St. Augustine Lighthouse. You've been to so many very haunted places from what we understand. And that all have been uh, checked out by all of these places like Ghost Hunters and oh, Ghost Adventures. I don't know. I don't know about Kindred Spirits, but they're one of my favorites, too. Let me ask you, though, because you're going to get this for me. I'm going to have to ask, what was your most scary experience? Where were you and what happened? Um, I'd say for us, again, it's not so much scary, but fascinating. The things that really make the hair stand up on the back of your neck really are the prisons and the jails that we've investigated. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say one of the most compelling instances was we were at uh, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, which is in Petros, Tennessee, and it was a former maximum security prison. Uh, It's actually where they house James Earl Ray, who killed Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. So he was there, just a bunch of bad guys. And uh, we actually were in a collaborative investigation with Miranda from Ghostbiker Explorations. So it was Miranda and her camera guy, and then Jenny and myself, and another investigator named Kim, who was on our team at the time. And so there was just five of us, and we were in the gymnasium area of, of the prison. And we had set up a couple of things that had lights on them. So we had a glow-in-the-dark balloon. We had a REM pod, which, you know, if you don't know, it measures electric and magnetic energy. Right. We had that, and that has two red lights on the top of it. And uh, we had a couple of things that, that, again, had some light that would emanate from them. But the gymnasium itself was completely dark, 100% dark. So we had those items set up in the middle of the basketball court in the gym, and we were probably about 15 feet away from it. And we were in a semicircle, and as we're watching this and asking questions, I noticed the shadow figure dart from right to left, and it cut off 
my vision of everything that was lit. So it, I could totally see this thing running across wow. uh, all of our all of our lights, right? And yeah. so Miranda just happened to be using at the same time, she was holding an SLS camera, which is a device that, again, generally speaking, it's an iPad that's connected to a camera. And when it perceives a human form in front of it, it will display that form as a stick figure on the screen. So at the same time, I'm seeing this shadow figure run across. She's seeing this on the SLS and her camera guy just happens to be filming over her shoulder. So you hear me say, did anybody else see that shadow? as Miranda's camera is seeing this anomaly on her screen. And so Miranda says, I saw it on the screen. And so her camera guy pans up and now his line of sight is on all of the lights that are in the middle of gymnasium. And at that time, the shadow figure runs back across all of the lights and we see it cut off the lights of Brimpot. So it's captured on camera and we all saw it in the moment. So for us, that is one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that we've captured that again, from Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. Wow. See that. And and don't be wrong. I always say I want to go on investigation and I probably would eventually um, if we ever get out of this COVID crap. Um, But I, (laughs) but I tell you what, I'm not going to say I wouldn't be nervous, but you know, you do have to be cool about that because I think if you do, find a spirit or whoever's there they can kind of hone in on that and they can kind of mess with you (laughs) but let me ask you something else have you ever gone somewhere and you thought okay this is really going to be intense I've heard nothing but very 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 intense things about this and y'all buckle up and let's just see what happens and then you got nothing has that ever happened um so I would not say nothing happened in the moment there have been times where I've felt a little bit dejected, I won't lie, because, you know, you, you travel to these locations and you spend all this time and energy setting up the investigation. So I would actually say that happened at Villisca for me, as well as Fort Mifflin. But that being said, the way we conduct our investigations is we will go in and we set up all of this stationary equipment. So we have night vision video cameras that will set up different locations, and we have voice recorders that we set up in different locations. The idea being that we will always have eyes and ears on a room even if we're not in that room at the right, time. Right. So because we had that set up, we've been extremely fortunate to capture a little bit of evidence everywhere we've gone. So while we left Villisca feeling like it was an amazing experience being in this this historic house where this, you know, this heinous crime took place, it was a great experience being there. When we left, I felt like we didn't capture anything. But when we go back and listen to the voice recorders and watch the cameras, we found that we actually did capture a fair amount of, of EVP evidence. Oh, wow. um, and I think that's another thing about us is we actually take the time to sit and listen to all of our audio and watch all of our video footage. And so even if I've got you know, 10 voice recorders running that night, I'm sitting and listening to 100 hours of audio because I feel that's that's what we need to do to actually do justice to the investigation. And that's kind of the part they don't tell you. It is a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of time and a lot of work for you guys to go through all this evidence. Mm -hmm. It is. It's very laborious. And so it usually takes us about a month and a half, two months from investigation to actually getting the video edited and produced and out there. So, you know, like going back to Villisca, you know, like I said, I felt that we didn't really capture anything. But when we went back and listened to the voice recorders that we had set up, we were capturing one of the most compelling pieces was we actually captured a male's voice. And again, we're we're an all-female team. So there was only females in this house that night. And at that point, there was only two of us in the house that night. The rest of us were outside. So during that particular time, we captured a male's voice in the attic saying downstairs where the uh, girls were sleeping. 
And oh, wow. that's very compelling because two of the little girls that were killed were actually sleeping downstairs. So, again, that's something that I just can't explain. Right. No, you can't. And, you know, that's the thing. And that's what's so fascinating about this, because you wonder, like you said, if it's residual or if somebody's trapped there, then you kind of feel sorry for them. Do you ever go on your investigations with someone who does have the ability, like a a psychic medium or anyone like that, that can maybe help someone if they don't want to be there anymore? Honestly, we haven't. We've been asked that question before, and it's just one of our things that we have not done. I won't rule it out in the future, but currently we have not done that. And what we do, we actually have two different investigation types, if you will. Mm -hmm. The first one are those larger commercial locations, such as Villisca and Lizzie Borden and the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And we actually do those because we really want to build our portfolio and really are standing in the paranormal community, if you will. But then our other types of investigations are residential and businesses that, you know, just common everyday people will call us in and say, can you come and investigate our locations? So for us, we don't take a medium with us, and I probably won't on a commercial investigation, simply because that's, you know, in order to, you know, to cross something over, um, that's not really what we do. And I just don't feel that that would be right in a place that I don't own. No, so that we, makes sense. Yeah. So we, yeah. Mm-hmm. To your question, no, we've never taken a medium with us and, and I won't rule it out, but today we have not. Right. And, you know, and I think that's actually really considerate of you because the people that call you in, and I think it's kind of cool that you've got a name for yourself that people actually call you and say, hey, you know, Christy, hey, Jenny. Can you investigate? No, when you do that, though, do you tell them, yeah, you're not crazy. There is something here. I mean, that was kind of my point. What do you do then? I mean, you just say, okay, yeah, you're right. What do you do after that? And, and you're absolutely right. And, and it's funny because when people contact us, that really is the first thing that they say. Please don't think I'm crazy, but. Yeah. And we always lead with, we don't think you're crazy, but let us come in and see if there are any environmental factors that are causing what you're seeing or what you're perceiving. And then if we can rule those out, then that's fantastic. If not, um, then we actually have options that we'll give to them. You can either find something compelling. We'll say, okay, this is what we found. This is what we think it is. You can learn to live with it. If, if it's not bothering you, if you're comfortable with it and you're, you're fine with living with it, we'll give you some methods to do that. Or if you want it removed, we actually have people that we call, like a, a priest or a demonologist or somebody who's more well-versed in that because that's really not in our wheelhouse per se. Right. That's good that you acknowledge that. But the fact that you can tell them, listen, you know, (laughs) and they don't probably want anyone to know that they're calling you because it's not always that well perceived, especially if it's like in a neighborhood and they're like, um, there's something in our house, but our neighbors aren't experiencing anything. We don't know what's going on. And it really could be the land. I mean, it may not be the house at all. I mean, it could be a brand new house and the house is haunted. But it's maybe a Native American activity. Has that ever happened to you as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Native American influences are very prevalent in what we do, especially in some of the locations that we've investigated. We actually have a piece of land. My family has a piece of land, and we use that for a wedding venue. And when we first started doing that, we actually had one of the, the guests at a wedding come up to my mom and say, the people on the land are extremely happy with what you're doing. And mom said, yeah, you know, everybody seems to be having a good time. And she said, no, the people that were originally on this land, she said, I'm a medium and there's a Native American gentleman who's standing here. He said, he's extremely pleased with how you've protected the land here and what you've done and, and cultivated it. And he just wanted to let you know that he's extremely pleased. Nice. And so, yeah, yeah. We, 
Yes, we've actually had those type of experiences. So yes, Native American, the, the residual energy from that or the, the spiritual connection that they had with the land very much influenced a lot of the investigation that we've been on. Right. Now, I know you've been featured in the premiere edition of Parahouse TV magazine, and you've also been in Ocala magazine, where you're from, featured in that. Where do you want to go with this? Are you wanting to expand this? Are you are you happy where it is? Or Well, you know, Leslie, when we started this, for us, it was more of a let's go explore and have a good time doing it and do something unique that most people don't do on girls trips. It really wasn't about getting recognition or being known in the paranormal community if you will. But we also felt that if we were going to do this, if we were going to start putting out the YouTube videos and such, we wanted to try to elevate the paranormal community in a professional manner if we could do that. So that is why, you know, we trademarked our name. um, We have our logo and such. And, you know, when we do our investigations, we have uniforms because we do want to kind of elevate that conversation because, you know, when most people say, you know, you're a ghost hunter or when you tell people you're a paranormal investigator or a ghost hunter, they look at you like you have two heads. (laughs) But if you go in and you, (laughs) when you go in and you can actually articulate in an eloquent manner what we do, you really have people at that point say, well, you know, I do have a ghost story or I do, um, you know, know somebody who has a ghost story. That really to us allows the conversation to be furthered in our book. So I think what our goal is, you know, is, is actually to, again, elevate that conversation out of the subculture where paranormal investigators usually live. That subculture where all, you know, they're paranormal investigators, that's kind of woo-woo, if you will. Right. Um, but I think our main goal is to actually bring that level of professionalism to that subculture community and, and really kind of elevate it. If that translates into a television show or something like that, we'd absolutely welcome that conversation. But for right now, we're just extremely excited to go and highlight these historical places because we feel that if we can show, you know, that it's not just the paranormal that is important, it's actually going and preserving these historical locations, absolutely. then that is... Yeah. That's our main goal. You know, not not many people can say that they've stayed the night in the Revolutionary War for the St. Augustine Lighthouse. But if we can bring that that sort of tactile experience to our audience and say, hey, this is an actual place where things happened that were historic and important to our history that they need to be preserved. That's our main goal, honestly. No, absolutely. And I agree with you completely. And and the history alone fascinates me anyway. And I know you went to the Lizzie Borden house. And I got to ask you. Because I, I'm not so sure that she did or didn't do it. I don't know which way I'm, I'm swerving now. I know once her father died, they got her, her and her sister got all the money and they lived in the mansion down the street that her dad was too cheap to get for them before then. But what was your feeling there? Because I wanted to make sure I asked you about the Lizzie Borden house. <laughs> the Lizzie Borden house is actually an extremely interesting location because, you know, you see, you see the house on television and shows and such. But when you walk through it, you really get a sense of just how compact it really was Um, and just the the details of the rooms you know you've got to walk through one bedroom to get to the next bedroom and such and so when I know the history behind it and what happened to me I do think that that Lizzie committed the murders just because of the intricacies of the house and, and where the bodies were found and then also when you realize that you know that they had to be killed in a certain order because if her dad was killed first then the inheritance would have been left to the stepmother's family. And the Borden girls wouldn't have gotten any of that inheritance. So the stepmom had to be killed first. It had to be proven that she was killed first. 
And then, you know, so when you start looking at the historical aspects behind it, you know, I do think that Lizzie did commit the murders. Why I'm not so sold on the, the motive behind it, I don't think it was primarily just the money. I think there may have been some uh, some family issues uh, that, that would have caused her to do that, some hatred towards her father and so on. But yeah, it's just it's a fascinating story for us, for sure. But I kind of walked away from that experience thinking that uh, that Lizzie probably committed the murders. Yeah, well, that's important. Because like I said, they vacillate so many different ways when you're watching one paranormal team investigate, and then you watch another paranormal team investigate, and they've got the psychic and the psychic thinks this way and the other person thinks that way. So you just never know. And, and it's still not been proven. So you just whatever. What did you pick up there? Can you share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point quickly, you know, when you do have these different locations where numerous people go, that's the amazing thing about what we do uh, is because, you know, you can investigate the Lizzie Borden house tonight and I can investigate it tomorrow night and we will never get the same evidence. Right, no, we make yeah. it stuff similar. Um, but see, that's that's the fascinating thing. So right. you watch one paranormal group about the Lizzie Borden house, but we come away with something that's completely different and it'll be unique to us. Um, so to your point, uh, what we found there was actually interesting. There was a time when we were actually up in the attic area, which was where the maid Bridget would stay. Right. And so we were actually up there uh, doing an EVP session. And again, there was five of us on this investigation. There was four soul sisters and then Miranda from Ghost Biker. And we were all in this room. The door was shut. And we were just asking some questions. And we asked the question, uh, I believe it was, can you see us? And outside the door, almost directly outside the door, a man's voice said, ignore them. And we all heard it. It was like, did y'all hear that? Wow. And we're like, yes. And we're like, what did that sound like? That was a man. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. We captured some children laughing. Again, there's no children on the property. We actually captured some male voices downstairs as well. And it, these were voices that really seemed to want to interact with us. But there were several that we did not hear in the moment, which is fascinating uh, in and of itself. Because sure. we would sit there and not hear anything, but when we play back the voice recorder, we clearly get a male's voice talking over us. So those are very interesting finds to us. So I would say uh, that male voice um, and then the children laughing were the most compelling pieces of evidence. Yeah. Now, did you guys stay the night there or did you just investigate there? Because I know it's a bed and breakfast now and I think it's for sale too. Yeah, yeah. So no, we stayed the night there. We got there probably about four o'clock on Friday afternoon and then we stayed till about 11 Sunday morning. So we stayed the night. And the interesting thing is that they actually served breakfast, which was the same exact breakfast that the Bordens ate that last day that they were alive. So that was a really interesting touch. But yeah, it is for sale now, actually, for $2 million, I think. Yeah. Oh, so you ate oatmeal and mutton? Is that what you had? <laughs> um, it was eggs and, uh, oh man, I can't even remember anymore. Um, some type of little pancake. I can't remember what they called it. And some type of a hash brown thing, I think. I, honestly, I can't remember it just right off the top of my head. Well, we do know that they all had food poisoning, so that was fun. Hopefully you didn't get that. Yeah, you know, that, that was the first attempt that they, uh, they were poisoned before, but they all got sick and it didn't take. Yeah, didn't take at all. Well, he was too cheap to buy anything new, so who knows what was going on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the consternation that Lizzie had with him. You know, he was definitely living under his means, which is fine if you want to be frugal, but uh then if you're going to be frugal, I guess you can't have daughters that have extravagant tastes. So right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, probably led to his demise as well. Yeah. Now, do you have a lot of this stuff on your YouTube channel so that if somebody listening now can go, because I'll go ahead and link everything in my show notes. Absolutely. Yep. So it's on our YouTube channel under Soul Sisters Paranormal and then our website as well under soulsistersparanormal.com. 
Perfect. I am so excited that you reached out to me because I was in a group and was talking about finding guests with unique occupations and hobbies. And you reached out to me and we just started talking and I was like, Oh, yeah, you fit right into my podcast. So let's do this. And we did. And it didn't take long for us to, to do this at all. So they can find you on YouTube. Now are you on you're on probably Instagram as well under the same name, correct? Correct. We're on Instagram. And then we're very active on Facebook as well. Again, under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Okay. Well, you know what, I will go ahead and link all of this in my show notes. And Christy, it has been a blast talking to you. I I could talk to you probably again, maybe I should have you back on my show because I like to hear way more stories than this. But uh, I know you got to go. So we will talk very soon. And thank you so much for being on my show. Absolutely, Leslie. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support, and I'll talk to you next week.